0: Get out of here, Francine! Caught you, didn't I? Right in the act of adultery. Well, I won't stand for this, Elmer. I want a divorce and a big fat settlement to go along with it.
1: You'll never get a penny out of me, you fat hunk
0: of cellulite. I only support the women I love. See these rings?
2: Guess who bought them for me? If you want, you can look at my clothes. They're the finest of polyester, and I didn't pay for them.
1: On this special episode of Movie Geeks United, we will be celebrating the 40th anniversary of Polyester, John Waters' 1981 film, with the film's line producer, Mr. Robert Meyer. Mr. Meyer has written a book that was published about 10 years ago called Low Budget Hell, Making Underground Movies with John Waters, which recounts all of his... Uh, the, the many years that he spent making films with Mr. Waters. It's a, it's a great read. I would highly recommend it. And we're honored to have him on our show to talk about polyester, which uh, is an interesting uh, watermark in the career of John Waters, I would say. And so uh, let's uh, – I guess the best thing to do is to give a little bit uh, – if you don't mind, uh, just give our listeners a little bit of info on how you became involved – and how you met John Waters and uh, became part of his team there for a bit.
0: Well, thanks for initiating this whole thing, the podcast, Adam, and uh, uh, I certainly appreciate talking about it. it's 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 in a way seems like yesterday, but in reality, it's what almost forty years old. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, so I'm happy to to do it. and With uh, Female Trouble, uh, I worked at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, uh, which was kind of a new branch of the University of Maryland out in the suburbs of Baltimore, and I just graduated from college and was, I guess, 22 or 23 at that point, and... um, Waters had had pretty good success with uh, female, I'm sorry, with pink flamingos. is really most notorious, and he had borrowed ten thousand dollars from his parents to make that, and he had paid them back uh, within the first year of it being released in, in New York and film festivals and all that. So um, he thought, well, wow, if I can pay that back, I'll do more. So he went to some friends, borrowed some money uh not from his parents anymore but uh enough kind of people with deep pockets who said hey this looks like it could be a good investment so um he was able to triple the budget female trouble and hire a professional crew which he had never done before he had just had a news camera newsreel camera on his shoulder and the guy who owned the camera actually it was borrowed it from the local TV station where he worked and uh, shoot with it and charge John something for his services and for the camera and the microphones. And um, so that's how John did it. And then he would edit it on a 16-millimeter movie projector in his apartment in downtown Baltimore and a pair of scissors, basically. <laughs> uh, the... Uh, the owner of the film laboratory, luckily there was a film lab in Baltimore, a uh, 60 millimeter film lab, and um, so he could process it there. And that was really a key for him that he could do that. And then the f- owner of the film lab knew enough about film, he says, Well, you need a splicer, and this is, and he showed him how to use a splicer and how to thread a projector. And he just took the original film and cut the original film, which is a no, no, no. Uh, but it worked, and it worked good enough on Pink Flamingos for it to become this uh, large hit. So Don went to some friends and said, I'm going to borrow some money because I want to make another film. You want to invest in it. So we got um, Female Trouble had about $30,000 as compared to uh, Female Trouble, which had 10000 And so that allowed him... Uh, John, because he asked the film lab, he said, what can I do? I want to make a more sophisticated film. And he said, well, go to University of Maryland, Baltimore County. They have a lot of film students so They have all the equipment you need that was just bought by the state of Maryland um, to teach students how to make films. So the first film that was made with all that equipment was the John Waters' uh, Female Trouble. And it's because he went to the college and said, hey, can you help me do this? I'll pay you. And the people who were in charge of the program, the professor, it was a very small group, uh, said, yeah, we'll use it as a student project. Our students can work on the film, and uh, you pay us uh, rental for the equipment. And uh, I never did where that money went, but uh, – but he did pay individually. People worked on it. And they told me I couldn't work on it
2: in the very beginning
0: um, because that I was, things would be too busy. Uh, I couldn't leave my job, which was a full-time job. Uh, even though they are mostly filming on weekends, I said, oh, I'll be happy to do it. Uh, so it worked out that the guy that they had hired couldn't do it. And it was a kind of an emergency situation. On the first day of filming, um, they called me at seven in the morning on Saturday morning and said, "The guy who is doing sound can't do it. Can you be here in a half hour and do the sound?" And of course, you give the only answer of, uh, you know, and a film person's first job. You say, "Absolutely, I can do it. I'll be there in 15 minutes." <laughs> so. I went there. Um, I hit it off with John and Divine and all the cast, and, and it went really well. So they, John, went up to the producers from the uh, the college and said, "We, will, I want him full time." And uh, they said, "Sure, we can do that. We can we can work it out. You know, and we'll just give him time off when if we're filming during a weekday." So that was my introduction to it, and I became very involved and. pretty much all the aspects of the film and um would uh did the sound and then start working a bit in the editing too the the technical editing process uh with uh, just prepping everything so they could actually start cutting the film syncing it up um and then matching the negative to the work print which is again a Pretty technical stuff, which I marginally qualified for being just out of film school myself, and I didn't even study film in school very much. Uh, I was an English major, so but I got I jumped right into learning all the technical uh, stuff of how to make a, you know, the old-fashioned 16 millimeter film, and um, pers- continued with that. And as we did more and more. I got to know John better and better. And then he said, hey, you know, we all, all the people from Dreamland, uh, all the actors and the set designers and costumes, we all get together at uh, this bar down in Baltimore on the weekend, on Friday nights. You ought to come, it's a lot of fun. So I said, yeah, okay. So I was basically invited to come and join on a social level, uh, that really weird group. And they were great intelligent, funny, um, hard-working, dedicated people, uh, not at all like the characters they played uh, in the film. So that was really the, the beginning, and then it just grew from there. Uh, once When Feebel came out, uh, he got money to do another one called Desperate Living. And um, at that point, he needed to get away from the university uh, because he was too famous they didn't want the university didn't want anything to do with him. They knew that he was a commercial filmmaker and you know, kind of made dirty movies and uh, they pushed him away <laughs> and um, but he had enough money he had you know the budget doubled again it was like seventy five thousand dollars, so he had enough money where we could rent a camera we didn't have to depend on any institutions of the state of Maryland to to make this movie which made everybody a lot more comfortable and I said you know I can manage this for you I can find the cameras I can find the crew I can get all the logistics done I can help you edit it we one of our friends uh, bought an editing machine and put it in his basement and uh, so John would drive out to the suburbs every uh, day for the filming and sit this guy's basement and um edit the film and uh i was able to i still had places to get equipment and if needed to in uh in an emergency situation so uh, so we were able to do the film uh still really really cheap and pay everybody a professional level salary uh not great, but professional level would have a you know, the, the lighting crew of two, three people and sound crew of two people uh, and feed them and just treat it like a real movie. Uh, so Desperate Living came out. It wasn't really a great success, but kind of enough to generate some momentum there. And uh, we never knew where it was going to go, so at that point, um, I had moved to New York city and we weren't sure if John was going to be able to make another film, uh, because the economy wasn't great. And, um, we, I was working on a bunch of low budget films in New York city and kind of advancing in my career in the film industry. And, um, so, John called me one day and said, you know, I found money. And we we still t- we stayed in touch as good friends, and he was always trying to find money after Desperate Living and Female Trouble, neither of which um, did well financially. And he didn't want to keep making $50,000 films. He wanted to make a, a real budget. Um, so he was able to connect through all of the different connections he had made with um, a guy who had uh, produced the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I can't remember. You probably know his name. Michael...
1: Michael White, I believe, is the...
0: Michael White, right. Um, So he ran into Michael White, and Michael said he would put up $300,000 for polyester. And... um, it would have to be a real movie, <laughs> so that meant 35 millimeter film, and indeed to have a lot of gimmicks. So, um, so you, you need to have a name star, uh, 35 millimeter, and um, you know a real s- soundtrack, a scored soundtrack that uh, was not just lifted. The way he did with Pink Flamingo. Oh, sure. he just stole all the music. Right, yeah, <laughs> which he since paid royalties mm-hmm. on, on. Uh it's you know, like 20 years later, but, <laughs> but he did. Uh, when they did the re-release of uh, his stuff for Criterion, uh, they uh, part of that money deal was that he had to pay the rights. So they were very expensive, uh, but it was done. It was over. So. Um, So polyester. Uh, we got Tab Hunter. John was able to land Tab Hunter to much everybody's surprise to be the, the male lead, uh, and um, I think, the, and then Stiff Bader's, who was a famous punk rocker uh, at the time, to be in it. So he got a couple of stars. Uh, as well as Divine, who had a pretty good career on his own and almost didn't do The Fountain. In fact, Divine didn't do Desperate Living because there wasn't basically enough money for him. And John wanted to see if he needed Divine uh, to, to make his films a success, uh, and which actually... The, the really terrible failure of Desperate Living showed him he'd better stick with Divine as a, a lead. I'm not sure if I'm getting things too far out of uh, order here, but...
1: Well, I think you're doing fine. This is, yeah, this is... fine. fine. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah you're, you're right uh, on track.
0: Okay, good. Um, so... Then they decided... That we had to have you know, one of the old-fashioned William Castle-style gimmicks. And John came up. He said, let's, let's do Odorama. Uh, and we looked into it and found out, well, it was very doable. Somebody was an expert in technical stuff, and he said, you know, you could do scratch and sniff cards, and we can do ten different fragrances made by 3M. Uh, We could make each one. And you'd have to make 100,000 or minimum, uh, or it might have been a half a million minimum. There's still hundreds of thousands of them out there uh, being uh, redone. So uh, there's a warehouse somewhere with them. Uh, But it seemed doable. You didn't have to equip anything in the theaters that can play anywhere with Odorama. And so it seems like a, br- a really good idea. So let's throw that into the mix, too. Um, so there you had all these sophisticated, kind of tongue-in-cheek Hollywood uh, thing. You had, you know, a has-been, heartthrob movie star, uh, a gimmick, a punk rocker, and... Um, then, when we were finishing it, I, when I was in New York, I had started working with uh, Chris Stein and Debbie Harry, the uh, Blondie, and talked to them about what I was doing. And I said, would you be interested in doing the music? Because we hadn't really settled on who was going to do the music. And they said, oh, we'd love to do it. So I went to New Line, who was the big producer, and, and Michael White. And you know, Michael was a big British rock impresario. And uh, so they said, oh, this is great, this is great. I said, yeah, and frankly, they'll do it for nothing. Um, and uh, so that was the whole package that we thought was going to really take the film to the next level and still be faithful to all of the, uh, the underground spirit of John Waters' films. And uh, so I, and I think it's a great film.
1: Oh, I do, too. I do, too. It's my favorite. It's my favorite, I'll be yeah. honest. Uh, yeah. I think it bridges the gap perfectly between the, uh, the early films, which had a, a little bit um, less polished style, shall we say, with the later, mm-hmm. more polished films. It's the perfect uh, middle ground between those, uh, I think it's the dividing line between the, in the career of John Waters, in my opinion. And I think it's, I think it's perfect. Uh, yeah. Because it, you know, it does have some polish, but it still retains enough of the uh, the, the 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 humor grit. that he was uh, famously yeah. known for in the early uh, features. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it let everybody put their best foot forward, and and that's what you got. And there there was really no interference by. The studio by New Line Cinema. They, I can't say that they had that much faith in it. Uh, and in fact, I don't think it ever. You know, it was very well received critically, um, but I don't know if even at the three hundred thousand uh, that the budget was. That it, it ever really paid its money back. I mean, that's one of the mysteries of <laughs> film production. <It's> like,
2: <laughs> yeah. Did
0: it make money or did it not?
1: Yeah. And, uh, Good question.
0: The, the money gets the every. The pennies get split ten different ways, and pretty soon you kind of see well, you know, it really didn't make anybody. So, so in the end, New Line was disappointed with it. Although it really put them on the map as because it was a real movie, and the, the previous ones weren't really real enough. They weren't thirty-five millimeter. Sure, yeah. Uh, they didn't have lights. <laughs> In trouble, you know, we had like four lights, <laughs> four cheap lights,
2: um,
0: and you know did a good job trying to make it work. But it was nowhere near the level of, uh, of uh, polyester.
1: No, not at all. You... I
0: mean, Desperate Living. Desperate Living is. So I keep. I hope I'm not confusing them.
1: No, you're you're, you're, doing, you're doing fine. In in so far okay. as I know, yeah. Uh, now I, want, I don't have any notes here. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I've got I've got the book right in front of me in case we we Good. run into a snafu. But yeah, correct. If uh, yeah. so I say
0: female trouble, but I mean polyester.
1: <laughs> And I, so do you
0: have any questions so far?
1: Well, uh, no, no real questions. I just wanted to uh, see if you could tell the story about Bill Murray's involvement. Uh, that's an interesting story oh, yeah. uh, that I think that listeners might appreciate. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, they were part of that. Bill was a good friend with Chris Stein and Debbie Harry of Blondie. They were when we were recording the songs. Um, at a little recording studio in New York City, cheap place. And, uh, but they were listening to the radio, and the news came across that uh, the Tide is High was the number one selling single on the Billboard list, which was a new thing for, for Blondie. Mm-hmm. And uh, they'd had a number of hits, but they'd never had a number one. And so there was a big celebration. Yay, yay. And that same night, uh, they had contacted they, Bill and said, Bill, could you come in and sing this song for us as a favor? And he said, well, uh, I'm, right now I'm in Atlantic City hosting a, a bus tour of uh, sleazy bars. <laughs> and uh, he would do that. He'd hire a bus and then invite 50 people to go on these tours, and they'd just show up at a bar somewhere, Mm -hmm. and they had picked Atlantic City. Uh, So he said, we're on our way back to New York. I think I could be there about 10 o'clock. Does that work? I think everybody said, yeah, sure. So um, he rolled in uh, three sheets to the wind after touring all these bars, and um, they gave him the, the music and played it and the words, and he just rattled it off, I think, in two takes, and said, "Okay, I got to get home <laughs> and, uh, and sober up." So uh, yeah, that was that was it. You know, one of my favorite little stories is you know, John hated the idea of Bill Murray. He thought Saturday Night Live was really low low brow popular humor, <laughs> no redeeming value. It was all slapstick and. Um, but, when I wrote that in the book, and you know, but Newline pushed it, said, "No, we want Bill Murray, Are you kidding? He's one of the top names of entertainment." yeah, and uh you know, it's a perfect song for him. It's got a love ballad uh and uh sarcastically sung and presented, yeah, so yeah. finally, John just stewed about that and uh and of course, uh, michael White loved the idea too. So um, so he, he just disappeared into the night, and the thing kept on going. Uh, and it's always been a fun story about uh, how the whole film came together, and that as, as you start moving up, a lot of doors open up. A lot of names want to attach themselves to it
2: um yeah and
0: john actually then became really good friends with debbie harry and also very good friends with uh, uh <laughs> bill murray sorry yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Uh, and then when he read the book and said you know how dare you tell bill murray that i hated the idea or tell the world and i said well uh, what do you what's the difference what he said, "Well, what am I going to tell him?" I said, "You don't have to tell him anything. It's part part of a joke." Um, but anyway, he never forgave me for that.
2: <laughs> so. That's
0: too bad <laughs> for saying for letting Bill know that uh, John fought having him be in the film. But you know, that's Hollywood. That's Hollywood. Your your the, the, your main enemy is. Sh- your best friend the next day. Yeah, that's true.
1: Oh. And 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 opinions change. We grow as yeah. as, as human mm-hmm. beings, and we you know the things that we didn't like yesterday, we might like tomorrow. And so things you know they do change. But yeah, there are uh, there are a few interesting other interesting stories about this about uh, polyester um, that I wanted to go over that might be of interest to the listeners uh i think one was the uh well you already covered it the odorama uh but then there was yeah. the uh, the issue of um divine and by the time that you guys went into production with polyester divine had a manager that he had not had uh prior when you uh, were working on female trouble this uh, bernard j had become his yeah. uh, his uh uh, agent basically, and uh, so there was a little bit of an issue there. I think in terms of what Divine was going to get paid. Uh, yeah, and so I, I thought that might be an interesting story to tell uh, about that.
0: Yeah, because I mean, Divine was making a lot of money. He was traveling, mm-hmm. uh, doing shows all over the world. I mean, he was a worldwide figure, way more than John was. And so there was this sense: well, we can't really afford him. Uh, And if we're going to spend $50,000 on an actor, better to spend it on Tab Hunter, uh, who's really, you know, was at least uh, a marquee name that that everybody knew, uh, whereas Divine, really a very small amount, percentage of the population around the world knew him. know, it was very underground, very gay. Audience that he had, so um, so they decided to. Uh, let me see, where am I going with this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, they went to. There was a big powwow of the money people, right. and they said, "Do we want Divine or not?" And John was extremely insistent that Divine be in the film. Uh, he said he could, he could not make a film with Divine and they proved that when they tried to make it without him for desperate living and he said this is the most obvious thing in the world you know, don't even go forward with this film if we can't have Divine in it so they, they did they they came up with a compromise amount for Divine and um, he was in the film and you know it was maybe his greatest role is sort of beginning the crossover of you know, playing a, a real woman and not some demon like he played in uh, Female Trouble and uh, Pink Flamingos.
2: Right, yeah. That he
0: was, could play a real character actor and do a really good job of it. Yeah. So um, that sort of showed new line about what to do. But, you know, uh, to make a longer story short, that um, the next film Hairspray which was then a real jump up where there was a multi-million dollar film um, that uh, you know <laughs> Divine's playing in that role uh, made the film made the whole reputation it made millions of dollars It wasn't John Travolta. It was Divine that really kick-started the whole hairspray uh, madness all over the world. I mean, it's still being done as a play in middle schools in Ohio or Nebraska or Montana. Um, So that was the pivotal, a real unrecognized pivotal decision where they said, okay, we need to pay. This will pay off in the long run to have Divine be in uh, in polyester.
1: Yeah, I think originally they only had $5,000 in the budget to pay him, and uh, they... I think, uh, according to what your book said, it, it turned into fifteen thousand plus five in expenses, is what it wound up because John yeah, called them yeah. uh, incessantly <laughs> on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the other interesting the so budgets go up. Yeah. They go
0: out the window. They go up, and you just if you're committed and into it, you look at well, we've put three hundred thousand into this. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to put more.
2: Yeah, that's and it was the
0: same story in hairspray. Um, they kept on cutting the budget, cutting the budget, cutting the budget. That it had been approved, and but that new line came in big time with it and brought in a bunch of folks from Hollywood who demanded, who are much better at demanding money than I was in getting it, and uh, so you get into the point where. You can't walk away from it after you've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars.
2: That's right. You just
0: have to pony up another five or ten. And usually usually in the film business, that'll snowball into millions. There are plenty of famous films that have doubled and tripled in budget. And probably everything that... uh,
1: Elizabeth Taylor was in. Oh <laughs> yeah, a good portion of them, anyway, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so, uh, I think another interesting story about Divine with, was the uh, the insurance issue uh, that they actually did the the, the the physicals that they have to do on the actors, and uh, Divine failed due to morbid obesity, and that presented an issue for you as well. I I, uh, I thought that was uh, an interesting story.
0: Yeah, and so that's another one of these money things that uh, you know, it, the insurance company wanted another $5,000 because of his physical uh, for the insurance policy, and, and that was a lot of money uh, that wouldn't show up on the screen, and uh, so there was a lot of discussion, but in the end, they just said, well, you have to pay it, you know, and line went to the bank, and uh, borrowed $5,000 to pay for that policy and um or the equivalent who knows where it came from ultimately but um and everything worked out fine but the only real kicker was I had to swear not to tell anybody so don't tell anybody <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, is it? I mean, mainly so that Devine wouldn't hear that and get all depressed. Oh, sure, of course. He was so unhealthy that uh, he could die. Yeah, uh, which sadly he did. You know, As this big surprise of what the insurance company was afraid of. Um, and um, yep, yeah, they... I guess fortunately for the productions, when he died, he wasn't on a production or hadn't gotten halfway through a production, and. Thing would have to be thrown away basically so uh yeah i mean that was kind of a sobering moment that, that reality intruding into uh so we think you got problems here we're going to show you another one what happens if divine dies and that he has a really good chance of dying
2: yeah you know,
0: better more more than anybody else his age substantially more
1: so yeah, and I think John poo-pooed it uh, because he his his attitude was, well, he's in his 30s and he swims every day, and, you know, what's a big yeah. deal? Um, yeah. But, um,
0: well, see, that's where New Line business people uh, jumped in the middle of it and said, oh, no, 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 no. Um, we cannot risk $300,000. Mm-hmm. We'd have to throw everything away. Just throw oh, it away. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, um so we're not, for $5,000, we're not going to risk 300000 And at the end, it probably was, it would have well, been a disaster. It probably would have been twice that by the time everybody was paid off for cancellation of contracts and stuff like that. So, you know, insuring Divine for, you know, a million dollars was, a for three weeks, uh, he was filming, it was Money well
1: spent. Yeah, definitely, most definitely. Yeah. Um, so another issue that popped up was the fact that Tab Hunter obviously was a member of the Screen Actors Guild, and this was a non-union film. So this was another challenge that you had to uh, navigate, shall we say? Uh, yeah, yeah. And I thought that was an interesting uh, thing to talk about a little bit too, and and what eventually happened with that situation.
0: Yeah. Well, Tab was a wonderful human being. I mean, really one of the best. And I had to do the negotiations with him because John didn't want to, he wanted to make, be friends with him and not have anybody give him, uh, he didn't want to, he wanted to remain blameless. Let's put it that (laughs) way. So, but he was floored that, uh, how much money tab was going to cost because the other thing he wanted was a, a round trip first class plane ticket, uh, from LA to Baltimore and back paid up front. And, uh, those are expensive. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, there was no, no place in the budget for it. So, uh, I told John, I said, you know, somehow you're going to have to get money primarily from new line. And, um, I said, it's just part of the deal, you know, it's nothing against you or anybody else, but if you're going to bring in Hollywood stars, they don't want a flying coach, and uh, he didn't really understand that. I didn't really understand it, but if you have traveled with celebrities, you understand that they are targets of uh, attention, and people... The biggest jerks in the world will walk right up and say, "You know, I didn't think you were any good at pink flamingos. You should be ashamed of yourself." And you know, they're doing the pulling the scrap in public and embarrassing you just because they can. And they're they're kind of bullies and rude. So that's why my first class. And because uh, um, the first-class passengers don't do it. It's only the coach people <laughs> who think that they can
2: <laughs>
0: give you a hard time that uh, because you're uh, supposedly a millionaire. But anyway, Todd uh, – not Todd.
1: <laughs> uh, it's his character in the film, uh, Todd Tomorrow, yeah?
0: <laughs> yeah, Todd Tomorrow. You're, you're close. <laughs> yeah, Tab um, said he really wanted to do it. And he would do it for the money, which was really pretty low, uh, and he could put in a schedule. Because he didn't really meet, lead, need the money. He was he had enough money from the movies that he had done. It was well invested. He was a smart guy. Uh, he had a horse farm in Los Angeles that he really spent most of the time. And he could go out and do dinner theaters for like a week of shows and make $50,000 so um, we were paying him that much for three weeks so he'd already said well you know, in, in three weeks i I could be making the same amount of money in a week and so I give you a huge discount uh, I just can't afford to do any less so, which made sense um, and you couldn't fight it and he didn't know John um, but he liked John, he liked Devine a whole lot, uh, he liked everybody, he was a very likable person himself, but you know, he had standards that he wanted to keep and that was uh, you know, he needed to make a certain amount of money and he needed to fly first class round trip. Uh, and in exchange he did a lot of press. Uh, he paid for himself in the press doing interviews with all the national magazines. None of which would have happened if he weren't in the film, which is what the the whole thing. Why you buy a big star is you can they'll pay ten times what you paid them back and you know, free publicity. So um, yeah,
1: that's uh, yeah I, that's yeah that was a wise investment on their part, and I um, like I said I knew it was a, a non union film. And that. Uh,
0: oh yeah, yeah. I'm
1: sorry. I no, no, no. It's okay. That. I was just curious about how it came. It kind of came back to bite you, I guess, is the point uh, a little bit.
0: Well, no, not really. Um, you know, as I recall, uh, which I'm pretty sure, is that I told him about the union, and he said, "Well, he said I haven't been in a film in fifteen, twenty years. I do all my stuff on stage, it's it's all non-union." At the dinner theaters, he was a big dinner theater. That's char- right. Yeah. Uh, and he said those are all non-union. They're in little podunk towns, and then they pay me, you know, five thousand dollars to come for th- three performances because they know they'll sell out and they can make money, and so it, it works out just fine. Now, I have no need to be in uh, the Screen Actors Guild or the uh, Stage Actors and. Uh, because he he thought he would never be in another movie, yeah. That he'd need it. So um, so he said, "I we were I was surprised that he would uh, pretty much re- throw away the rest of his film career by being in the film." <laughs> and, uh, but then he, it made sense. I said, "Yeah, you're right. I mean, nobody's really interested in you except as a freak." And, uh, and um i don't know how many people really went to the film because tab hunter was in it uh, it kind of i don't know how many new uh fans john got or how many more people just bought a ticket to uh polyester because of the uh, tab hunter but you can say that about all of it how many people went because it had uh odorama how many people Went because it had uh, soundtrack by Chris Stein and
2: right. uh, Debbie Harry.
0: How many people went to it? So, but uh, you know, ultimately you start adding it all up, and you say, well, it, it, you know, individually each thing may not seem like it makes a big deal, but all combined, uh, it certainly helped. Uh, and. Um, but and which things do you cut out? What things do you keep oh, yes. to keep on budget? Nobody knows. So you're all you're just throwing money at stuff, hoping that it'll all come back. I mean, it's a gamble. It's like going to Las Vegas and saying, "I'm going to spend ten thousand dollars, and uh, you know, maybe I can make a million. and Maybe I lose it all."
1: Yeah, yeah, that that's true. It it, it kind of is a gamble, and. um now, I did want to cover right quick uh, the Baltimore, when you actually got the location in Baltimore and the problems you had. Uh, you were shooting in an actual house that the uh, the owners, I believe, were in Florida. And uh, so they rented the house for, I believe it was $1,000 a month or something like that. And so you guys were in an actual house uh, that, that you used for the filming. And the neighbors had a little bit of a problem with that, I think. So that's an interesting story, I think. I think, as well.
0: Well, we had that problem on almost every uh, film. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: Which Which one are you talking about? Uh,
1: the, the actual house that Divine lives in in the film, and I think some of the neighbors got a little bit... Uh, oh, like,
0: okay, we're talking about polyester. Polyester, right? yeah, Sorry. back
1: to that again. Sorry. Okay,
0: um, yeah, yeah, that was a tense time. <laughs> that was a tense time. Because we were... We were Working late into the night, making all kinds of noises, and there would be guns firing and people screaming at each other and cars squealing out. So I understood perfectly what was going on, and you know, we didn't really, you know, this was one of my my fault, just out of inexperience, and I learned my lesson is that you really need to go to every neighbor before you start filming and talk to them in person and explain who you are, why you're doing it, how long it's going to last. Here's my contact information if you have the slightest uh question, let me know. And oh, by the way, here's um, you know, a certificate for uh, going out to dinner uh to the best restaurant in Baltimore. And so you leave on really good terms. Or here's a, a case of uh, the best scotch. You said you liked uh, the cow. Well, here's a case of it, just for being good neighbors. And so you, you you create a really good atmosphere. So when stuff is bad, you you deal with it. I didn't know that. I, we just put flyers in people's doors and thought, well, that's enough. And we didn't let them know how to contact us. We just said, we're here and we'll be gone in about a month, and uh, that was it. So they ended up calling the police <laughs> instead <laughs> and, and complaining about us and saying, uh, is this legal? And the police said, well, it's actually not. You know, they're violating all kinds of problems. <laughs> um, so I did go over to this one neighbor, na- the, fi- the, the main neighborhoods who's had the problem, and knocked on the door and talked to them uh, and we became very friendly and they said you know we didn't really want to cause trouble we just didn't know what to do but you all seem like really nice people and, and it's so fine that you came up and talked to us first and they, they fixed me like tea and cookies the, the guy's wife was real old fashioned and kind and nice so um, and I let them know I was a human being and uh, <laughs> That, and not a monster so so that all worked out but it, it taught me a good good lesson to don't ignore the, your neighbors and uh, and it, it served very well um, yeah, to, if, if we did that uh, and there was all there's always problems in a film uh, making noise breaking stuff uh, ruining somebody's heart blocking the streets so they can't get home i mean it just It's endless, endless,
2: endless.
1: (laughs) Yeah. uh, There was another interesting story, too, about the helicopter shot that opens the film. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's that's a good one. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that one.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, John wanted to have this grand opening, kind of like a Douglas Sirk. That was his real uh, hoping to sort of uh, emulate Douglas Sirk films. And he thought, well, we'll just have the – the camera opening with a shot of the clouds and, and it was this very grand eloquent thing and and then the uh they it would come down right above the trees and then we'd cut to a steady cam, which was another brand new sort of thing, that walking up the street and into the house and have these doors magically open and uh the camera glides up the stairs and then the big reward is not Gene Harlow, it's Divine (laughs) picking his toenails. (laughs) The best. Yeah. (laughs) So it was great, great opening. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, we had the helicopter. Uh, We we had done a couple of passes, maybe three passes. And then uh, I got the uh, one of the guys who was the assistant up at the helicopter with a cameraman called me on the walkie-talkie. He said, we got a problem. We're have to. we landing immediately. And I said, what the heck? W- w- where are you going to land? He said, I'm not sure there's a golf course across the street. I hope we can make it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. What? We're going to have a helicopter crash? Uh, so I, I ran across the street. I uh, got my car. And uh, this guy stopped me going out. and He waved me down one of the neighbors. He said, you know, there's a helicopter that just landed on a a golf course right in the middle of this guy's game. (laughs) He said, does that have something to do with you? And I said, oh, yeah. (laughs) I I dashed over there under the green, and there were these golfers walking around. And uh, the helicopter pilot was walking towards the clubhouse and the guys had grabbed the cameras and the film out of the helicopter while the rotors were still spinning, and he said, uh, he said to everybody, the guy who's in the helicopter, one of my, my guy who's assisting the camera, he said, everybody get away, there's a good chance this is going to blow up because the engine wasn't, was cooling down too fast. So we were yelling at the golfers, "Get away! Get away! <laughs> I'm gonna blow!" So then the cops came, and everybody felt sorry for us. Um, <laughs> and so when the guy sent me the bill for the helicopter rental, I said, "I can't pay this. Uh, you know, the helicopter broke. I'm not gonna pay."
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know you make mention in the book that for years afterward that uh, both New Line and John Waters would get uh, bills from the helicopter company. Yeah. They never paid them; so they just kept throwing yeah. them away. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so, in a way, that was a kind of a it was a, you know, a, a budget saving method. I mean, we had to resort to that with every opportunity. How are we going to save money? Uh, like all the beer that i <laughs> drank when it was an alcoholic it was all donated by tuborg beer company <laughs> i was getting into that
1: you just you took you stole my thunder that was my next question about the product okay. placement
0: yes yeah yeah um yeah and yeah it was i mean people said oh it's a movie sure we'll supply the beer if you're going to show our beer and i was like God, you know we probably could have been sued for defamation or or something, but it never did. Tuborg beer went out of business a couple of years later, too. So uh, <laughs> It was like a, what is it, Tuborg, the, the beer of Danish kings.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and they delivered cases, you know, just like dozens of cases. In fact, it was, everybody was so sick of Tuborg beer, they were really mad at the rat party. That was the only beer still trying to get rid of all the yeah, beer. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think there was one guy who said, "Well, I got a friend uh, who owns a bar." He said, uh, "You know, he said he'd take 20 cases if for like a dollar a case if we wanted to sell it." And I said, "Yeah, let's do that." Yeah, even though it's totally illegal to (laughs) sell beer uh, without a license. (laughs) (laughs) That's true.
2: And you were thinking about
1: actually having a yard sale. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, this is uh, yeah, and then uh, in in the book you said you make mention that the big insult was you actually went and bought Heinekens because everybody was so tired of drinking too. Oh yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah, <laughs> they wouldn't do it. <laughs> Don't you dare show up with a 2 board. <laughs> it was a really cheap ob- beer at the time. It was it was actually nat- Baltimore's National Bohemian and a a, a, a copper looking. Can yeah, but it was the same brewery that brewed the the cheesy uh, National Bell that uh, they bought the name Tuborg somehow to do it uh, you know, in the U.S. or maybe it was just for Baltimore. I don't mm-hmm. know.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting some of the uh, the product placement that you wound up getting. You would just call the Pepsi marketing office and tell them you were making a movie, and uh, next thing you know, you got fifty cases, and then you uh, they just,
0: yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the, the beginning of Product place It was something that I had discovered along the way that you could do anything. We'd, we'd, go, <laughs> we'd go to the bakery, It's like this little corner bakery, and say, you know, we, we need a cake to appear in the movie, we'll give you a credit. And they they get like three or four of these coconut cakes, and, uh, and Define would be sitting there gozzled, eating them like, Just ripping pieces off of it and stuffing it in his face. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how how proud they'd be to have their cake treated that way. I
1: think Uh, Pepto Bismol actually sent you a shipment as well, hoping they would get one of those.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Pepsi and, you know, John Devine guzzling down the Pepsi uh, and trying to kill his hangover. That was. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's true. Well, it, well, it helps to feed the uh, the crew, I guess, as well. So it all kind of ties <laughs>
0: it ties together. Oh yeah, up. it's a big money saver and, and easy. We didn't even have to go buy it. They just they, <laughs> they send a big delivery truck and
2: mm-hmm.
1: just
0: drop a you know, drop all the stuff <laughs> off.
1: And I think, according to your book, the uh, the the food budget was only one hundred and thirteen dollars a day. So that's uh, <laughs> that was a good supplement yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And
0: then when we would do a sub, we'd say, well, we'll put your subs on uh, in the film and give you a credit. Uh, when Divine is eating this, like, giant sub, <laughs> sub, sub sandwich, I guess you understand what I mean. Um, and then I'd go get it, and they'd say, well, what do you need? And say, well, I need 20 subs uh, for the movie. Okay, there you go. So I come back, and then we cut the subs in quarters and put them on. That's this is lunch, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> <You know. laughs> oh God.
1: Oh yeah.
0: But the morality today, I don't think would uh, allow
1: this kind oh. of uh, things. Oh, I don't uh, think so either. Now, now, and you have, and um, like I said, and, uh, I'm not going to take much more of your time, but I do think there's an interesting story to be told about the uh, shooting at the uh, the Cheapo Motel, the White Gables, for the scene where Divine's husband okay, Elmer yeah. is is having an affair with the secretary. Uh, that might be yeah. worth uh, repeating.
0: Yeah. So, um, so we thought we could just rent a room, right? And uh, for thirty dollars. And we started, then suddenly all these trucks pull up, our lighting truck and the camera truck, and and all the, the art director was in there uh, rearranging all the furniture. I think at one point we, we pulled all the furniture out of the room and put it on the parking lot. And uh, so finally the owner of the hotel came out and he says, What are you doing here? <laughs> This is a guy from India, Mr. Patel.
2: <laughs> he
0: said, what, do you do? what, is, what are you doing? are taking everything out? What's going on? I said, well, we're making a movie. Oh, you can't make a movie here. <laughs> and I said, sure. I rented the room. No, 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 no. Get out of this here. Get all this stuff out. So then, of course, the, the checkbook had to come out. All right, how much do you want for us to stay here? <laughs> so that went down into the negotiation. So, that, of course, there were, I think there are people screaming out in the parking lot <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh. And the more I think about it the, the less I'd recommend anybody to go into the low budget film,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my goodness yeah this uh it's it definitely keeps you on your toes you can uh yeah, d- there's no doubt about that, yeah, well yeah. um before I sign off, I... But
0: people love reading about it. Oh, so sure.
1: Yeah. And, and
0: I love talking about it, too. Oh, I'm glad I don't have to make a living doing <laughs> it anymore.
1: <laughs> well, you definitely have, the, you definitely have a... Um... A, a well house full of great stories now I will uh, before we sign off here I do want you to talk a little bit about Edie Massey who's uh, you know part of uh, John's repertory of of players and of course you made a, a wonderful little documentary film uh, love letter to Edie which you can get yeah. online uh, I think it's at your uh, your website and uh, places and it's an extended version of the uh the documentary that, uh, it was on the original polyester laser disc, I believe, and then,
2: yeah, uh, uh-huh. and then,
1: so you've got,
0: yeah, it's, it usually would play on with John's films from the very beginning, you know, right after I met them and worked on Female Trouble, that's where I met Edith, and I thought, you know, like everybody I thought she was an amazing character, and I said, can I make a, a documentary about your, life story and she said sure and i talked to john about it he said oh yeah that would be really great so i got all those people who at the dreamlanders to play little parts in the reenactments and um it was the same sort of thing i you know i was like 24 years old and didn't had never really made a film before so uh I just felt my way through it. I had a cameraman who was really good, very experienced, so he made it all happen really well. Uh, and it started out before video. There was no, there was no such thing as uh, VHS video at that point. So uh, I took it to New Line, and they said, oh, they'll, they'll, they'd love to show it as a, uh, a short when John's film's played. And then... Um, we I contacted Cinema Village in New York, which was playing pink Flamingos every Friday night, and made a deal with them to show that as a short subject and that went on for years and I, every every I get the village voice they always had it to add the village voice and it says plus you know it says the midnight show uh, Pink Flamingos and plus. Robert Bayer's Love Letter to Edie and I, I thought i been won an Academy Award to see my name in Village Voice on Friday <laughs> 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 and um, wow yeah and Edith pursued that uh, and had a whole different career doing music I've, I've spoken to most she was in and out of several bands that uh, were sort of punk rock and play, They do tours across the U.S., but it never really took off. Uh, kind of like the the nitty gritty punk rock, all the local punk rock scenes in the United States. They they didn't last very long.
1: Yeah. And Her cover version of "Big so, Girls Don't Cry" uh, still gets played on the Dr. Mito show occasionally. So, and it was a staple oh, for yeah, many years. Yeah. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's in it's in a lot of. Uh, there are a lot of compil- comp- compilations yep. that uh, she has. I'm not having the album where she's on the cover of uh, John Cougar Mellencamp. Uh, her picture. So, uh, somebody gave me once, and so I have that frame.
1: Yeah. But, uh, now she. I was always. Uh, it was my understanding that she had trouble memorizing her lines. Sometimes that 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 could be problematic. Uh, that she would uh, occasionally have a have a little problem. Yeah. With her.
0: It was mostly with John,
1: mm-hmm. um, you know with my experience she didn't have a problem with it at all, yeah. but
0: she'd only have like six or seven words uh, of her dial- but when she was telling her story, she didn't need anything uh,
2: oh, sure, it was yeah.
0: but trying to speak in John's words, which can be really difficult you know he's he's no Shakespeare uh, <laughs> and things get. Get, get long and drawn out with weird words and uh, things that don't really make sense a lot of them are kind of gay uh, uh, telegraphing or, uh, <laughs> yes. they've got a lot of meetings and she's saying things that the gay audience would get and laugh like crazy but she didn't know what she was <laughs> talking about at the time
2: <laughs>
1: yeah for sure
0: and um oh, wow. just went along with it. Yeah. With it.
1: She was a trooper. She was a real trooper. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah I wonder what's gonna happen with her memory. Um, I do see
1: it. Yes. She really
0: deserves I mean, there's a lot more stories in that whole thing that um, need to be told. I mean, luckily, you know, I got the book, but I'm, my book's the only book that's not been written by John. Uh it's out there. That's true. Yeah. And, you know, frankly, the people who could tell those stories are disappearing pretty quickly. And uh, I'm not sure where it's going to end up. Um, you know, the, 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 uh, everybody in that troupe could have written their own book.
1: Oh, no doubt. No doubt about that. And, and
0: it would be very interesting and a real good portrait of the 60s and, and 70s. So...
1: Yeah. Uh, it would be great if somebody did an oral bio uh, an oral history, I guess you would say, uh, of, of that, of that time and place, yeah. and just get together all of them and have them all to, you know, uh, chime in with their comments. I think that would be yeah. a good format to to follow, possibly. But yeah. uh, but anyway, I'm
0: a, I'm afraid that John's doesn't want anybody to steal his thunder. Yeah. And, uh,
2: you may be on or
0: contradict him yeah. or. And uh, all of it is kind of you know he's the big chief and he wants to control what goes out there about him so you can't blame him for that but no. on the other hand
1: no not at all yeah. yeah
0: that's why that's why he's mad at me for <laughs> writing and publishing the book
1: and, <laughs> well it's your uh, story to tell and and it's and it's very yeah and that's
0: that's what you know I explained it to him but um, yeah. you know and and other people who I know were cooperating with authors and then. John found out about it. I shouldn't really say this, but, um, gosh, and it's being recorded. Uh, We can edit. John didn't like it. They were using their work with him as a venue to get more attention. Mm -hmm. Sure. I mean, he might might have been really legitimate. Well, he didn't want a lot of uh, bad feelings or wrong things to get out. So you know all that has justifications to it oh yeah but hey that's the world and uh, i did i think this is in the book or somewhere but i talked to andy warhol's biographer
2: Mm -hmm. who wrote
0: a biography of andy warhol and i said you know did he ever object to it he said he cut me out of his life so fast Mm. and did everything he could to to discourage or disparage me.
1: Yeah.
0: Said, "Oh, that's interesting." God. Yeah. Hey. And, um. Said, "Well,
1: thanks for the encouragement." <laughs> <laughs> you you just—you never know. So, you never know. Yeah. No. Well, Paul Aster, the editing went pretty smoothly. I think uh, John edited in his apartment, and it uh, everybody remained uh, pretty well unscathed after the one month experience of shooting it, and it's—it's. Uh, it's,
0: you know it's yeah yeah i mean it did a good a lot of good for everybody it really did so i mean that's why you can't like like edith says He says i can't uh you know i can't say i can't say nothing bad about nobody said <laughs> so the whole experience was great and you know that would be probably the thing that everybody would say yeah, they didn't become millionaires, but on the other hand, they probably helped them in a big way and, and gave them some really good life experiences. It didn't take anything away that um, they didn't want taken away.
2: So yeah,
0: nobody did something anything that they didn't want to do. It was everything was done with you know hope uh, that it was a, a good deed.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, I think I think it's a film that stands the test of time. It never fails to uh, elicit laughter from myself and and my my family as well. My kids are fans of it and. So we... Uh, yeah, oh, really? Uh, yeah, they're... That's good. Well, well, they're not... Older they? Yeah, they're, well, they're not kids anymore. My my daughter is uh, a fourth-grade school teacher at this point, and my son is... Uh, oh, is, no, and she loves yes, it. she loves That's it. She really loves it. We watched it. <laughs> uh, the Blu-ray came out last year, and we just laughed and laughed and laughed, and uh, it still holds up. And so, Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Blu-ray has uh, about an hour's worth of deleted scenes uh, that I think John had never... Released to the public before.
2: Oh, uh, I have to get that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's worth it, and it has the uh yeah. has the Odorama card uh, in it as well. So yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's worth uh, it's worth picking up. Yeah, I uh I would recommend it. It's it's a good uh, representation of the film. But yeah, there's some stuff there that's never been uh, that's never been uh, put out um, publicly. So yeah, so it was uh, it was in
0: great. the de- in the uh laserdisc mm-hmm. version back when 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 later it's just early, early 90s
1: yeah, about 93 cuz i had that laser disc yeah. yes
0: yeah it did include love letter to edie in that
1: that's correct yes In
0: the, the laser disc but i guess the blu ray no
1: no it doesn't it doesn't have it on there i, I wish they had yeah. but uh, you yeah. know i, I don't you know, I don't know what happened there, but it would have been a nice addition. But yeah, other than that, everything is. Uh,
0: well, no, no. Well, you know, now they have to pay me for it. Yeah, that's so right. That's what it is. That's what
1: it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: uh, yes And it's selling well. I mean, it's selling as good as it ever did, if not better. Uh, I can't retire on it, but uh, <laughs> but it's nice to know that there's a, uh, enough interest to keep in it. And I just restored that too. I, spent uh you know, took the original uh negative to a lab mm-hmm. and showed it to them and they said you know this could have be an endless job repairing it there are splices broken and sections that were um shrunken sprocket holes so they had to you know instead of ready running it at 24 frames a second they had to go like two frames a second so on this really expensive transfer machine video Um, So at the end he said well, we'll 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 do it for $1,500 so I said well, okay, that's that's a reasonable investment Oh, yeah, and when they finished it, they called me and said, you know, we actually put about $25,000 worth of work into this but we promised to do it for 1500, and we really liked the film, and we really thought it should be preserved. So um, mm-hmm. enjoy it. Good luck. Uh, Very nice. We're proud to have done the work on it. Yeah, yeah. So that was really, really nice. I've and, got uh, And so as a result, it's there. You know, it's in high definition Blu-ray, and it looks great. It looks better than the 16 millimeter original I ever
1: did. Oh, I bet, so, I bet. And I haven't, yeah. I haven't picked up a copy of it yet. Which is, uh, that's, that's on me. I need to get one. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that a priority. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> we met. We spoke. Our love became infinity Our timeless fantasy One boy, one girl Deeply and honestly Our real life fantasy The first good thing